0: Are you a senior level executive with a growth mindset, ready to grasp the new opportunities and solve the issues that are holding you back? If so, welcome to our podcast, Into the C-Suite, with Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. With personal experience as a CEO of more than 10 companies and 15 boards of directors, Jim shares his insights into optimal leadership philosophies, practices, and ways to accelerate growth and elevate your company value. Now, onto the show. We are ready for a look into the C-suite with your host, Jim Casido, Jim is the founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors, a boutique management consultancy that taps the expertise of highly experienced senior consultants who know the C-Suite because they've worked there. Their best in class advice helps startups and middle market companies solve their toughest challenges and go on to thrive. Jim's guest this episode is a go-to pro in marketing and a C-Suite senior advisor. Jim, please tell us more about Tim Manning. Thanks so much, Patrice. I'm really excited about
1: introducing C-Suite Senior Advisor Tim Manning to our audience today. Tim is the founder and CEO of Growth Shift, a marketing strategy firm headquartered here in Arizona. He's been running his own consultancy, Growth Shift, for five years now, in addition to a very long history in startups, predominantly in the tech area, but all kinds of startups for decades. Tim's a real pro when it comes to marketing, spe- specifically in the positioning and branding arena, I'd say. And in addition to that, he's a super nice guy, which you're about to discover. Tim, we're very honored to have you here in the C-Suite Collective and with us today. Let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your marketing background and your experiences that you share through your service.
2: Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast and be part of the collective at C-Suite Advisors. Uh, Thrilled to be here. I'm effectively a career marketing professional over 30 years uh, in that profession, Fortune 100 through startup. And I have a passion for early stage tech because, in my opinion, that is where What we're going to talk about today, positioning strategy can have the greatest impact on trajectory and growth. It's applicable to midsize and larger, of course, but for a company that's deciding true north uh, in the early stage, it can have an enormous impact. It was that passion that led me to lead marketing for eight different startups over 25 years with one notable exit. Uh, where positioning in fact was a key factor in our success. Uh, In 16, about five years ago, I founded uh, GrowShift. As Jim has indicated, specialist strategy firm focused on help companies differentiate, compete and grow. So again, great to be here uh, and and love to teach, love to share information uh, from the heart of serving and helping others uh, work through growth issues with their firm.
1: You know, let's let's go back to some just root issues here if we might Tim. I sometimes founders or CEOs or even marketing professionals, sales professionals run into a bit of confusion about the respective roles of sales and marketing. Can you take just a moment or two and tell us a little bit about the differences and why both are vital to the success of of our early stage and middle market companies?
2: Love this question. It's rarely asked, and I think it needs to be asked more often. <laughs> in a broad sense, marketing creates interest and in demand, and sales converts that demand into revenue. The two functions have to be tightly coupled. That's my experience, and highly recommend that those functions be uh, closely knit within any organization of any size. More specifically, marketing creates interest through positioning and messaging and the associated demands through the integrated marketing tactics that implement strategy. Sales converts that demand into revenue by taking qualified prospects through a logical sales process, which answers questions, satisfies objections, and decides fit. So that is, in my opinion, the difference between the two, Jim. So which comes first? Is it a chicken and egg kind of question? Well, no, I think it is very clear in my mind and and some branding tech uh, practitioners would have an opinion on this, but branding follows positioning. And the reason for that fundamentally is because positioning decides true north, that is where you fit in the marketplace, who you serve, how you serve, and why your customer segment should care so positioning has to first decide what is true north, and then branding follows that. I think it's important we talk about what is a brand <laughs> and branding, because again, practitioners in the field, myself included, have made this perhaps ambiguous, and it isn't ambiguous at all. Marty Newmar, uh, an author that I, I, I respect and a thought leader in branding strategy in a book entitled The Brand Flip. Characterized brand as a person's gut feeling for a product. It is that simple, a gut feeling for a product or a solution. The, the, consumers, the consumer's feeling, a consumer's yeah. gut feeling for a product as an example. Exactly. Okay. And so that is a brand. The brand branding is the process to reach that point in a customer's psychology and the The way we get there, of course, is all of the interactions uh, between customer and a company. And that occurs through a logo, a website, collateral, advertising, so on and so forth. So that is brand, that is branding, but branding must follow positioning in that order.
1: So, so in the not answering directly the question whether or not sales or marketing come first, I suppose that was kind of a trick question. I I do think that's kind of a chicken and egg kind of kind of question, maybe a, an undeserved one for a pro here. But but the idea between positioning and branding, I often hear. Uh, CEOs and others talk about branding as what they're looking for. And what I'm hearing from you, Tim, is that branding doesn't really become effective unless you first focus on the positioning of the business. Did I hear that correctly?
2: Well, exactly, Jim. And I I would say that, and with respect, uh, a lot of people collapse positioning into branding. Is that a mistake? And, And that is a mistake. And the the reason it's a mistake is because positioning is the thoughtful exercise that looks at your market, looks at your competitors, studies your customer and their persona. That is the person that actually signs the check. How do they relate to solutions and why? And that is a marketing strategy, uh, AKA positioning discussion. And that has to occur before you launch into presenting your position to the market, which is branding. So I like to uh, bifurcate or or decouple the two and and work with clients on positioning first. And then we present the brand. Now, if you're starting with positioning of a company, and
1: let's take two examples, and maybe you can deal with both of these. If it's a startup, it's easier, I would imagine because there is no form you need to adjust or change. None of the work that's been done earlier has been significant enough to say, okay, you got to change. But for a middle market company that maybe needs to do some positioning work, is that more challenging because you're in essence changing the trajectory or the messaging or the branding of those companies?
2: I absolutely think it is, and here's why. Positioning isn't is a psychology discussion. Al Reese, of who authored with Jack Trout the book original thesis on positioning, the battle for your mind, would say this: that positioning is not what you do to a product; it's what you do to the customer's mind. So, a mid market or larger has spent time in market of building a perception of their solution, therefore their position. And that's why it's difficult to move that positioning uh, substantially. Now, they can nuance that in a way that says, we are now bigger. We encapsulate more solutions to solve a larger problem. That's a nuance within a positioning strategy the challenge that you've identified is there is a large group of customers, market makers, consultants, influencers that think of a mid-market or larger in a certain way. Now you're saying, and I wouldn't recommend this with companies, I want to I take a 90-degree shift in how you position the company. You want to be subtle and you want to be thoughtful in that discussion. Early stage, though, It's formative, it's uh, unestablished, and that's where positioning strategy and marketing strategy can have the greatest impact on the uh, life and growth and exit of a company.
1: I'd love to take a left turn here and throw you sort of a wild card, which may, may or may not be a good idea, but one example I'm thinking of is Facebook and Facebook changing their overall branding and, and, and po- potentially positioning by moving from Facebook to Meta. To me, I have very strong feelings about the wisdom of that move, but I'd love to hear your thoughts because here's an enormous company that has made a judgment to change their positioning a la branding in the, in the o- overall marketplace. Can you share with us your own views on why they might have done that and whether or not, in your judgment, uh, that's something that likely will be successful?
2: Oh, <laughs> you know, it may be controversial, but it's a fascinating case study on branding and positioning. So for those that may not be familiar with the notion of a metaverse, it is a technology discussion that encapsulates cloud on-demand computing and a variety of other current technologies. And it's a roll up. Uh, IBM relates to it as such uh, and other large companies, Oracle and SAP. So I love what Facebook has done with rebranding Meta. Let's go back to the nuance discussion. So what Facebook has done is they've, they've elevated their branding to encapsulate more than simply social networking in rebranding as Meta, now they can bring Oculus, which is their VR, virtual reality solution, credibly within the umbrella of Meta. And it gives them flexibility now to bring in other technologies that logically fit within the notion of metaverse. So, it is not a 90-degree turn for Facebook. In fact, I believe it's a it's a big play and being bigger than they are today by encapsulating more technologies going forward. Fascinating case study. Thanks, Jim.
1: That is fascinating. And your responses as well. I I must admit, while you described it as a very controversial move, and as you know, Tim, complimentarily, I, I rely you on a great deal of the of my knowledge of marketing, positioning, branding, et cetera. But my instinct was, holy, mackerel. Why in the world would they tackle such an enormous subject like that and uh, with the expense and time and changing the, the, you know billions of people who use their product for the future? And now it makes a whole lot more sense. So I, I appreciate that. let's Let's go back to just a minute to the whole positioning conversation we started. You, you mentioned that it really begins with positioning. And that middle market or later stage companies, while they may find a need to position, may shy away from it. You didn't say that, I did. But they may shy away because of the magnitude of a change like that. That said, in today's economy, where all companies are shifting, changing, finding new ways to reach consumers, and in some cases, finding their old ways didn't work as well as they used to any longer, Uh, How important and how often should a company, let's say in the middle market up to 200 million or so, how often should they review their positioning statement and how would they tackle that?
2: Once you set true north, I've used that expression to connote what is your position in the market. That is, who do you serve? How do you serve them? uniquely and why your customers should care. That has to be the single message, single voice that is communicated to your market, to your investors, to your customers. If you should depart substantially from that core positioning, that could send tremors into the market because you're known for one thing. You're known as an expert, a leader in one solution category, it can cause credibility issues if you take a hard left turn and say, no, we're not this, we're this. So, I believe you must often interview your customers, make sure that the problem set lines up with how you serve, but the core positioning of what it is you Paul, the category that your solution fits within and the position in that category, that should not fundamentally change over time unless you have acquired other assets, other intellectual property, and then you can broaden the positioning statement like uh, like Facebook has done with Meta. So I'm advocating that you do check in with your market, you do carefully monitor competition You carefully follow what research analyst organizations like Gardner are saying about your solution and how that aligns with how you speak about your company. But uh, substantial redirections in the positioning and or brand can be destabilizing at best, dangerous at worst.
1: So we're left with a conundrum. A company's market is shifting. Uh, through the pandemic, they are realizing that they have to work in new and different ways for all the obvious environmental reasons. And yet it's a pretty terrifying and sounds like massive project to undertake. How how would they go after that? How, How do they finally decide? A CEO, how does a CEO decide, I need to do this because this will open new avenues to my business That are not currently open
2: to me. So what you described, Jim, is a pivot. It's a word used to describe a a change in direction, a change in customer segment, a change in who you serve and how you use the solution to serve that. The COVID pandemic was one of uh, our most significant destabilizing market Conditions uh, that we've seen in decades, if not ever. And many companies had to pivot. Uh, I know companies in the valley and beyond that had to take their solution and apply it within a different segment. If you think of a solution that serves hospitality, and then COVID occurs and literally shuts down tourism. Where else can I take my solution? One of the companies that I know quite well took their solution and applied the same fundamental benefit and solution to the healthcare industry. And they were enormously successful in that period of transition, the 24 months that we've seen, 2021. And now there's take-up in hospitality. So again, I think monitoring your market, monitoring conditions in your segments and then being thoughtful about how you serve pivots are a reality in early stage less so in mid-market to large co but always being thoughtful of watching checking in with your market
1: that's interesting tell me you know when you describe positioning Tim it it clearly is a vitally important task for all companies to have an accurate position where their consumer audiences respond, and then through the branding feel, you know, their feel for what that product and company represent that you talked about earlier. It sounds pretty massive in terms of how you do it with a lot of research required to do it well. Can you speak a little bit about the, the process of really helping a company define its position, which then
2: would lead to brain? It could be daunting if you don't understand it, but let's break it down and make it very simple for tech CEOs or CEOs because it is their job. It is their job. I want to start first with a discussion of what, if I may, what positioning actually is. And positioning, uh, and again, I'm going to quote one of the thought leaders of the last 40 years, Al Reese. it's not what you do to a product, it's what you do to the customer's mind about your product. And therefore, it is a psychology discussion fundamentally, but we can make it even simpler by saying this, customers are overwhelmed today across any customer, consumer, or technology category. They're overwhelmed. There's too many solutions. There's too much noise. There's too much information. So how do they decide? It's a psychology discussion fundamentally where they need a system to organize where you fit in this prioritization of solutions they might use. The notion of a ladder, if you can imagine that metaphor, represents a way for customers to prioritize solutions. If you think of uh, Salesforce, which is arguably the number one CRM solution on planet Earth, they are on the top of their ladder. If you think of Mercedes, they are on the top of their ladder. Apple, the same Uber ride-sharing Customers need a ladder because there's too much information. So positioning helps in that discussion as follows. You need to clearly identify what you do, for whom you serve, how your solution is different, and why I should care, and get on the ladder in a consumer's mind so that they think of you as one of the top three solutions to the problem they're solving. And then there's this notion of category. We've talked about it briefly, and that is another element in the organizing system customers use. So they have a ladder, which is the prioritization of solutions within a group of solutions. Salesforce is the number one CRM solution in the category CRM. So we need to also identify the category that we are uh, positioned within. So, like CRM, like, like CRM. Category CRM. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. And another example would be ERP, enterprise resource planning. Mm-hmm. Social networking is Facebook, ride sharing is, is uh, Uber and Lyft. And so there's a ladder and a category. And so once we made those decisions, back to your question, how does a CEO look at this? The answer lies with your customer, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. What is it they need to solve that you have a solution for? What then does the market and or competitors use to define that category? Is that a category you want to adopt or not? And- Customer, competition, market, and then your product. Align those four in a way that distinguishes you uniquely to solve that problem. And you have effectively arrived at your positioning. So what I'm giving as advice is this information for why, how, and who you will serve and how your position lies within your customer's speaking your competitors, how they define the market category and fundamentally how your product aligns to that. And then once you do that, write it down. And Mr. Moore, Jeffrey Moore, that is of the fame, Crossing the Chasm and numerous other books, a book I think everyone should have on their shelf. In fact, the marketing playbook for B2B technology gave us a template, Jim, And that template has the basic uh, building blocks of a positioning statement wherein you write down who it is you're serving, target customer, what is their need, what's the name of your product, what category uh, do you occupy, what is the benefit and what's the primary differentiator. It can be that simple and write that down, test it with your customers, test it with your employees. And if you do the work well, that in fact becomes your elevator pitch for the company, one voice, one message. That's how you would go about this.
1: Let's go back to the, it's fascinating. And I, and I am following it, uh, but I think I still have some questions about it. Let, let's go back to laddering for just a second. You said something that really struck me, which was that really your ambition is to be in the top three considered experts in your category and field. And, and you mentioned like Salesforce as an example or Uber or whatever. If I'm a middle market CEO and I know darn well that, and let's just say I'm in CRM work with Salesforce and I know darn well, I'm, it's going to be very hard for me to compete against a Salesforce who is the acknowledged number one provider of that in that category, It seems to me, and I don't mean to give you an answer with my question, but I may hear, it seems to me that the points of difference that you claim with credibility, uh, how you are better, a better solution that do, in fact, resonate with your client is the key to winning that recognition. Is that true? And if it is true, how do CEOs and marketing heads dig down to find those true, genuine points of difference that are
2: material enough to make a difference in the consumer's mind. So, differentiation is the key. And um, I'm not recommending you identify yourself as a a CRM solution competing directly with Salesforce. That will not be a, a good strategy. The way you compete, Jim, if I'm answering your question, with a Salesforce is not head to head. You will literally have to, if you want a position in a CRM category, you will have to identify a niche that hasn't been solved within the umbrella defined by CRM. And then you become an acquisition target for a company like Salesforce. Interesting to note that in 2020, Salesforce bought Slack instant messaging uh, fundamentally for $28 billion. Also interesting in 2021 that Intuit bought MailChimp for $12 billion. Those were billions, uh, uh, uncommonly high uh, valuations, but why? Because those companies identified, served a niche, became a leader in that niche, that was interesting or sufficiently interesting for a company the size of, in this case, Salesforce, to buy those companies. So points of differentiation are critical, but they are they are grounded in what it is you do to serve a unique customer need. So where you would start in the world of CRM is you would look at what does Salesforce not do today that my customers have validated as a need that I can serve for a large enough group of customers to grow my business? If you do that and position carefully, then you become very interesting to a company like Salesforce. Yeah.
1: Fascinating. For a early stage or middle market company, Tim, uh, that is wrestling with these marketing positioning, specifically issues, how long does it take? And is it advisable for, this sounds like an ad, I don't mean it to come across that way, but is it advisable for them to get outside support to go through the
2: exercise or not? I think so. I, I do. And you, you, need, you need experts that think differently about your company, that look objectively at what are the customers saying? can interpret what the competitors say. Is it meaningful or not? Is it credible or not? Look at what market makers, that is the likes of Gardner researchers saying about your category, your market, your group of solutions, and then carefully threading your unique IP, that is your intellectual property or solution, inside of that opportunity defined by customer competition and market. I, I believe you should seek outside counsel. The interesting thing for CEOs is the answer lies within your mind and the minds of your customers. It's really taking an advisor that can relate to that objectively and guiding you through the process to arrive at your positioning strategy.
1: Yeah, that that well, as you well know, that's very much a fundamental principle of C-suite advisors, which is the Socratic method uh, of not saying that we have all the answers, but in essence acknowledging that you probably have the answers. Let's dig them out together. And, and find the appropriate and uh, most efficient way to leverage those answers to business performance and success. I have, I have really one last sort of fun question for you, Tim. And I, I have a feeling that I know the answer to this, but it's interesting to me. I, as you know, C-suite advisors does a fair amount of structural advisory work for companies, middle market companies and smaller. And uh, you know, what should I hire in what sequence? How should these things fit together within my company? And an age-old question is, which is best to lead? Is it marketing over sales, sales over marketing, or equal domains, both reporting to the CEO? What's your view on that?
2: Uh, It is a fun question, but it is probably the most important question you must answer uh, in your organization. If you haven't decided your strategy, that is your positioning strategy, where you fit, and I've been redundant on this, where you fit how you uh, who you serve and how you serve them, then you risk not being effective at selling your product at the volumes that you had hoped. Customers need to understand who you are and how you solve their problems. Sales is more effective if marketing and positioning strategy is thoughtful, and uh, well-executed.
1: You know, thanks so very much for joining us today on Into the C-Suite, Tim. Uh, I, I have to admit, I learned something new every time we talk. And I, one of the reasons I love working with you and chatting with you about these issues, I believe I've become a better executive and advisor uh, as a result of those times. And I imagine
0: our audience feels the same way today. So thank you so very much. Thank you, Jim. A real pleasure. C-Suite Advisors, where CEOs tap into unbiased, deeply experienced wisdom, perspective and credibility to accelerate their company's performance and growth. To discuss how C-Suite Advisors may help your business in a free 30-minute consultation, contact us at advisor at csuite.co or call for an appointment at 480-840-7055. Thank you for listening to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino. Click the following button below to be notified as new episodes become available.